In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let nothing upset you. Let nothing startle you. All things pass. God does not change. Patience wins all it seeks. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone is enough. Hello everyone, and here we are at Mansion 4. So if you've made it all the way to Mansion 4, we can say you're just about halfway through. If you haven't done Mansions 1, 2, and 3, that's okay also. I do think in some ways Mansion 4 is maybe the most pivotal mansion. Um, there's three chapters in Mansion 4, and I have quite a bit to say, so I apologize for the length of this podcast, but this is such an important mansion because here, St. Teresa is introducing us to a new language of prayer. If you've been uh, praying For more than, let's say, one year, you know that God loves to do new things in prayer, and it's it's so exciting. It's one of the best things about being alive. In this mansion, the saint is moving us slowly out of vocal prayer, uh, devotions, spiritual reading, and active meditation to the first stages of contemplative prayer. And of course, nothing's more exciting than that. This is what we're born for. Um, But it does require letting go of the familiar. So my hope and my prayer is whoever hears this podcast, if you are wondering about what's happening in your prayer life, and maybe if you're concerned because things aren't feeling like they used to in your prayer life, perhaps the Lord's leading you to the next step. and And I hope I can help. Um, This is a radical shift in that the last three dwelling places begin with ourselves. The last three that we've had, and then the next three begin with God and end uh, with ourselves. Isn't that exciting? So just to recap, the three mansions before us um, begin with ourselves and end in God. Now we're doing the shift where... We start with God and end with ourselves. We could spend an hour just on this sentence alone, but isn't that something to ponder? If you have a prayer journal, that's something wonderful to write down and think about. This stage is a balancing point between the three mansions behind us, where we have primarily been working through our own efforts, and the next three where grace takes over. Um, But in order to get there, you need a spaciousness uh, to open inside of us. If you love to be in scripture like I do, there's so many beautiful lines in the Psalms about spaciousness, right? Um, Where it says, you know, Lord, make room for my steps. Um, Lord, you've enlarged, you've dilated my heart. And that's what the saint is, is talking about. So as we go into Mansion 4, St. Teresa is not one for uh, hiding from us her struggles. She says, business matters and poor health have forced her to set her work aside. So she is always complaining that she can't approach this in a systematic way that would appeal to her because she's too busy. Um, But luckily for us, she did what she did, right? 
So in chapter one, um, she is talking about how we move from giving prayer to receiving in prayer. She reminds us, as she always does, that humility and knowledge are needed. Um, humility, 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 self-knowledge, self-knowledge, self-knowledge. Those are the saint's two favorite phrases. So what is her first order of business? Well, immediately the saint tells us the difference between two, uh, two things that we receive in prayer. One is called consolation. One is called spiritual delight. And I always think when we're translating, it's better to go to the original Spanish. So the first one is contentos, consolation. The second one is gustos, which is a stronger word in Spanish. And the gustos come from the Lord. The consolation are in the natural realm. And I'm going to explain. However, I'll remind myself that the saint says she's trying to explain the unexplainable. There are no words to explain this, but yet we do want to try. Now, there's a subtle difference between contentos and gustos, and it is, it is a way of looking how we move from the active to the passive. Um, and really we're asking, how do we assess if we have begun something with God or have we begun it with ourselves? I don't know about you, but I can definitely tell looking back over the years when I've taken initiatives that are purely from my spirit, I can see like, oh, I, I started that Bible study, but I don't think the Lord asked me to do it. I think I, I just wanted to do it. And then I've started other things that I know the Lord asked me to do. So I can definitely tell the difference looking back. So it's a good question to ask. Also, St. Teresa reminds us when we're comparing contentos and gustos, she reminds us we're moving from the head to the, heart, to the heart. Of course, contemplative prayer will greatly involve the heart. Now, a consolation is something that arrives from the work itself. These are contentos, and they're on the natural level. For example, she mentions when you see a loved one, you know, you're just so excited to see them. Or how about um, when you meet someone you thought they were dead, but they're actually alive? These are things that arrive from our own nature. These are consolations. They generally begin with ourselves and they end in the Lord. I'm going to share just kind of a, an experience of, of myself that speaks to me of this. Years ago, um, I'm originally from New York and there was a big party with the extended cousins in New York. And these are big, amazing Italian parties. And I really wanted to go because I wanted to go with my niece and my nephew. We used to fly together. I have not been able to have my own children and I am madly in love with my nieces and nephews. Well, I got in prayer, no. The Lord said no, he had other things for me to do. I was pretty brokenhearted, but I obeyed. And as it turned out, I ended up doing something for my masters in theology in Washington DC that same weekend. So I'm glad I listened. Anyway, as I'm heading home from Washington DC, my flight got delayed and all these changes happened with my flight. And lo and behold, what happens? I'm boarding my plane, I'm, I'm sitting in my seat, I'm not kidding. Who am I sitting between? My niece and my nephew. It was just so unexpected and I just felt like the Lord said, I just felt like it was a, a consolation from him. Um, 
maybe because I had been obedient or maybe just because he wanted to do something kind. I can't presume to know. But I just kind of felt like that experience, my desire started with myself. I turned it over to the Lord. Myself is still involved, but I felt like the experience ended in him because it was a reflection for me, a reminder to me that my niece and my nephew, they're just a gift from the Lord himself um, and, and he's in charge. So I always like, for me, I like that experience to think about those questions. Of course, it's going to be different for everyone. Now, a spiritual delight is something where the saint says from Psalm 119, I will run the way of your commandments and you will enlarge my heart. And uh, I think in the Latin, it's, it's literally like that word dilate, open up the heart. The heart has to change. And this is fascinating because... The saint tells us when we're looking at our own consolations, they can actually constrain the heart, right? And I, I like that in the example I gave because the Lord wanted me to do something for him in his vineyard, but I wanted to do something with my, my family. And so um, that's, if I hadn't have listened to him, it, it would have constrained the heart. But now the heart is stretched and you can actually do more for the Lord and um, this is something you can't make happen. It's just when the Lord does something for you. And so I thought I would read to you from her autobiography. Uh, it's called Vida. The saint talks about what happened to her in prayer. And I think it will illuminate the difference for us. She says, It used to happen when I represented Christ within me in order to place myself in his presence or even while reading, that a feeling of the presence of God would come upon me unexpectedly, so that I could in no way doubt he was within me, or I totally immersed in him. So this, uh, I think this sentence is really important because she's saying she started the prayer, right? We begin with, oh, I'm picturing Christ, I'm closing my eyes, I'm picturing him inside of me, or I'm meditating on a passage. We do the work then all of a sudden the Lord gets in there and we stop. And this can be quite frightening because let's say, have you ever prayed the liturgy of the hours? You're praying those Psalms and then all of a sudden the Lord gets in there and you can't continue the Psalm, right? Because he's there. And at that point, you just wanna be still. So that's where it begins with us and ends in the Lord. And that's the difference between consolations and spiritual delight. Now, the saint mentions some very practical things here in chapter one. What about when, have you, have you ever had when you're steeped in God, but your thoughts are running wild? It can happen. You can have an experience of the Lord um, it, with your will, but your imagination maybe isn't cooperating. That can happen also. Um, St. Teresa keeps reminding us, this is from Matthew twenty thirteen. the Lord can do what he likes. Um, you know the famous story where the Lord says, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? You know, fighting with him about the wages. The Lord has tremendous freedom here. And he can give us the experience whenever he wants. But it's good to get an expert to tell us what's happening. Um, I also like, as I've said before, St. Teresa is very merciful. If you read this carefully, 
She gives us a lot of consolation by telling us, be patient, be patient with yourself because sometimes the Lord is there in prayer, but we get upset because we're not as perfect as we would like to be. We know we're sinners, our thoughts maybe are somewhere else, um, but it's okay, the Lord is working with us. She also reminds us in this life, we have struggles outside of our control. And she says, bear these things with patience and they will be lifted in the seventh mansion. Now she says, we're getting closer to the seventh mansion. That's why uh, mansion four is, I think, so exciting. We're, we're really on that threshold. And she says, the beauty is so great here. We have no words. She does say, generally souls have been in other rooms quite a while before this. So to repeat, we have to spend a great deal of time in mansions one, two, and three before we get into mansion four. Now, what's quite a while? Again, I've, I've seen people say, oh, she means this many years. She means that. I personally don't think that timetable is very helpful because the Lord has tremendous freedom. Let me quote from her directly. She says, although it is usual that a person will have to have stayed in those already spoken about, there is no certain rule, as you will have often heard. For the Lord gives when he desires, as he desires, and to whom he desires. Since these blessings belong to him, he does no injustice to anyone. So while the saint is reminding us, you know, it takes a while to get here, it's up to the Lord. She says, poisonous creatures are rare here, and if they come, they come only to help, not to hinder because we merit much in the resistance. So at this point, when the devil throws his temptations at us, we have a stronger will, we have more tools at our disposal, we're tougher and we can resist them better and they actually help us rather than hinder us. Um, so she reminds us, don't give up if you're enduring a lengthy interior trial. The Lord will test us in that way, but the victory will be ours. Now, Teresa is speaking from experience because um, the so-called experts in the spiritual life greatly misled her. And they all told her, and all the books she read, um, told her the only way to pray is discursive intellect, uh, sorry, discursive meditation in the intellect. Discursive meditation in the intellect. That's where you're working with a thought and you're going back and forth with the Lord. This is helpful. This is part of the spiritual journey, but it's not the end. And she suffered a lot because she worked with people who didn't know there was more than that. Because this discursive method, it's very systematic. It's, very, it's actually very masculine. But Teresa was being moved to these deeper prayer experiences. She didn't have anyone to talk to until later on in her life. Um, but no matter what, she knew she couldn't deny her experience. And so she knew the Lord was calling her to be faithful to what he was showing to her in prayer. And thanks be to God, she wrote it down. She reminds us spiritual delights are given to the spirit. They're given to the spirit. But she's giving us advice about what to do with the body, what to do with the senses and the imagination, because we're not angels. She reminds us 
think this is so important for all of us. You cannot control it, and it's not about thinking. A lot of people think prayer is thinking, and it's not. That's just um, making ourselves uh, available. The thinking plays a role, but then you have to let go. This is hard for people with intellectual gifts. Um, I, I did formation once with a priest who used to train us and tell us, and this was so helpful. He would say, take five minutes every day. Look out of a window if you can, or just sit in a chair and do not think of anything. That is so tremendously helpful. Five minutes a day, discipline yourself, no thoughts. And of course, when you first do this, it's all just wrestling and battle, but it's extremely helpful. And it really trains your whole being to be ready when the Lord does come. Here we are called not to think much, but to love much. And I am so happy the saint says this because you probably already know this. If you want a prayer life, you have to have great love because it is costly. It takes so much time. You have to give up a lot. You have to keep showing up for prayer when it seems like the Lord has disappeared. It takes a lot to have a prayer life. Um, so you really have to have that thirst, that desire for it. So it's love that's going to carry us through. It's not our intellect. It's love. Um, and those of us who maybe like to take refuge in our intellect, I know I personally do. I love to hide in books and I'm guilty of hiding from the Lord in books. It is a real purification to put that book down and to turn off the intellect. It's a purification. Um, just, I'm going to keep trying to bring up concrete examples. Let's say you are doing some type of meditation. You're reading, let's say you're reading the boat in the storm and you're imagining yourself there with Jesus. You're imagining, you're doing all the work, your intellect's going all of a sudden. You feel called to just love and praise and to break away from that imagination. Um, your will is awakened, your intellect, you just feel like you need to let it go. The saint says at that point, do not finish your meditation. So are you following me? You're doing something and then all of a sudden you're being drawn in a different direction like a rest or a praise. Don't finish what you were doing. And this happens during the rosary too. You can be praying a decade of the rosary and the Lord is taking you somewhere else. You got to put that rosary down for the moment. This is hard. Because we're all so, uh, we like checking off the boxes. I know I certainly do. So sometimes it takes years of wrestling with this. And just, you know, later you can say, Lord, was I just being lazy or were you leading me out of that? So it takes practice. But the saint says, um, don't finish that. You know, I think also of devotions that we all love. For example, I love the 33-day consecration to Our Lady. I've done that a million times. Um, I am a huge fan of St. Louis de Montfort, but I remember, I renew mine every year, but I remember after several years, I just wasn't able to do those long prayers. I just felt like the Lord was teaching me a different way to do it. So at some point he's gonna bring you freedom 
from some of those vocal prayers. Now, those vocal prayers are the foundation. They are extremely important, and we very much need them, especially for community prayer. Um, but sometimes the Lord's going to take us out of that for something deeper. And then when you go back to your vocal prayer, you approach it in a whole new way. Now, the fact is, St. Teresa reminds us, many of us know God primarily through scholarly and academic pursuits. In fact, the first two dwelling places really focus on that, so it is essential. Nowadays, you and I, we are used to the scientific method of deduction. We like solving problems. We depend on computers. However, in Mansion 4, this is different from all of that. It is not cerebral. It is a faith beyond understanding. And so I'll ask the question, how do we reconcile the two? We know God is a God of reason and understanding, and we need our intellect, but yet he's moving us to this faith beyond understanding. How do we reconcile the two? Well, that's what being a saint is called to, right? That's, that's why it's not easy. It's a narrow way. And so I think to help us, Teresa then struggles to describe the difference between the imagination and the intellect, because this happens to a lot of us. She, you know, she's saying, what do you do when your mind wanders during prayer? This, this is another big problem. And she reminds us, because of original sin, there's no getting out of this. We can work on it. There's things we can do. You know, I had a spiritual director once just say, have a little sticky note next to you. And when things come, just write it down and push it away. There's things we can do. But because of original sin, this is a struggle we have. St. Teresa says, stop worrying about it. Be patient with yourself. Endure it for the love of God. But most of all, don't give up on prayer. Just keep showing up. Keep showing up and you will see things happen. She says this state is so miserable that she says these miseries seem to be making fun of the soul. I'm sure you've experienced this. When you set your mind to have a prayer life and to be disciplined, everything works against you. That's why she says it's like, it's like God is making fun of you. But I really think the Lord is letting us see how much do we love him? How serious are we about this? Because it's easy to give up. Teresa says again and again, a lot of our suffering is due to lack of self-knowledge. The self-knowledge is extremely important. She says you can never be in the cell of self-knowledge enough. Um, she herself is appealing to experience and she's reminding us when we're talking about contemplative prayer, we can only receive it. You cannot demand it. Okay. Uh, she says for the most part, all the trials and disturbance come from our not understanding ourselves. Let's not blame the soul for what a weak imagination, human nature, and the devil cause. So she says, be patient, don't give up. To use her phrase, let's keep, quote, grinding our flour. You just got to keep grinding our flour. Okay, that's chapter one. Moving on to chapter two, we are going to encounter one of the most enduring symbols of the interior castle. St. Teresa loves symbols for her explanations. And in chapter two, She's going to give us one of the most famous ones. Uh, first, she says, I believe that in each little thing created by God, 
There is more than what is understood, even if it is a little ant. She likes to use unconventional imagery and an elaborate use of creatures to explain the realities of the spirit. And I bring this up because it's so Catholic. This is a reminder that we have a sacramental vision of reality. And we're living in a time where that sacramental vision, it's being destroyed from all corners. We see it in education. We see it in the media. We just see it everywhere. It's a good reminder to us that as Catholics, we believe in the importance of the senses. To go back to Aquinas, we need to see everything Creation is a book teaching us about God. We, we remember God said, it is good. So that's a sacramental vision of reality, and Teresa likes that. Now, if you've read Teresa's autobiography, I refer to it often just to keep you straight. In her, her autobiography, she calls the stages of prayer four ways of watering a garden. That's one image she likes. That's not the one she uses here, though. But I just kind of want to tell you, she has different ways of saying the same thing. Here, she uses the image of a water trough with two fonts of water. So two, really two water troughs. That's the image that she uses. And she says, these two troughs are filled with water in different ways. With one, the water comes from far away through many aqueducts and the use of much ingenuity. With the other, the source of water is right there and the trough fills without any noise. No skill is needed, uh, no building needs to continue, but water is always flowing from the spring. She says, it seems that this heavenly water begins to rise from this spring that is deep within us. It swells and expands our whole interior being. However diligent our efforts, we cannot acquire it. So I really don't think this needs so much explanation, right? It's right there. There, when If you want to break prayer into two categories, one is a lot of work on our part, and it's, it's far away. Like, we've got to work to bring what the Lord is, is saying to us. We've got to work to bring it close to us. This is necessary, but it's always to get to the next level where God is right there. He's right there inside of us. And I'm going to draw your attention to her phrase. She says, a spring that is deep within us. And I really think this word deep is very important because in order for that depth to be there, we have to be tested many times. Um, because St. Teresa says here, the last dwelling place is, quote, a radical opening to God. It's radical, and it's, it's this opening, but first you have to have that incredible depth. So if our prayer life is shallow, if our experiences with God are shallow, we have a long way to go. And I, uh, I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I remember saying to myself, my goodness, what a shallow prayer life you have. So I have had my own conscience bothering me at my shallow prayer life and it's very easy to fall back into a shallow prayer life so this spring we want this spring but it requires depth and so of course that happens it happens through suffering 
and perseverance. Okay, so that's chapter two, this, this beautiful symbol of the water. Moving on to chapter three, I want to make a very important point. Teresa talks about the prayer of recollection. Um, is it infused or is it not infused? What I wanted to bring up is if you, if you were to look at all of the saints' works, she isn't always consistent and it can get confusing. Also, sometimes she changes her terms. Sometimes she calls this the prayer of quiet. Sometimes she calls it the prayer of recollection. Sometimes she says it's the beginning of contemplative prayer. But then sometimes she seems to act like it's the beginning of active prayer, which leads to contemplative prayer. Um, I read a scholar that helped me, I'm going to share it with you, who reconciled all this discrepancy for me. Here is the sentence. The term passive is inadequate, right? If we're talking about passive prayer, like the Lord bringing it to us. The term passive is in inadequate. It just means it is an activity that does not emanate from the subject. And I love this line. There is another who begins to shed his light on the horizon. So really, this, this clears it up for me. So this is what St. Teresa is saying. At some point, we have a prayer experience. Maybe it comes from us. Maybe it comes from the Lord. Maybe it's a little bit of both, okay? So it could be a little bit of both. And then at some point, the Lord takes over. And then that's the prayer of quiet uh, leading into later contemplative prayer. Also could be called the prayer of recollection. But the way um, I think this happens is I think the natural and the supernatural they're both at work and then it's coming together and it comes together in a moment you could almost miss. It's so subtle. It's really delicate. It reminds me of Elijah in the book of Kings, right? When he's looking for the Lord, he's not in the earthquake. It's not in the thunder. It's that still small voice. It's so quiet. And you could easily miss it. And actually, it just takes practice. And what I love about the Lord's generosity is we can fumble around with our prayer life. But as long as we're, as long as we keep trying and we're always attentive, he is going to come through. And I can tell you, he does. Like, you can have an hour of prayer and nothing happens. And then maybe six hours later, you're in the car and all of a sudden, right before you, he, he shows you something. He's so faithful. It's just, are we looking? We have to constantly be on the lookout. And that's why I think this sentence is very helpful. There is another who begins to shed his light on the horizon. So what that says to me is we have our books, we have our devotions, we're working, but then his light is there. And at some point, it's going to move from our efforts to his efforts. At some point it's going to happen, but it, it's like a ray of light. It's very subtle. So this mansion is really subtle. Um, as Teresa says, is the soul entering within itself or rising above itself? She's wondering. And I, don't you think that says perfectly what's happening here? 
is this more of um, me with more of God or is it me rising above myself? She's wondering herself, you know. She says, let us suppose that these senses and faculties have gone outside and have walked for days and years with strangers, enemies of the well-being of the castle, but they have seen their perdition. They've already begun to approach the castle even though they may not manage to remain inside because of the habit of doing so is so difficult to acquire. Once the great king who is in the center dwelling place of this castle sees their goodwill, he desires in his wonderful mercy to bring them back to himself. So what she's saying is where we still have our imagination and all our stuff going on, all our stuff's here, but somehow in our center of our being, we're with the Lord and we're struggling because we're not so used to the castle because we've got all those bad habits and distractions out there. But she says, God sees our efforts. He takes mercy on us. And I love how she describes how he brings us back to him. She writes, like a good shepherd with a whistle so gentle that even they themselves almost fail to hear it. His shepherd's whistle has such power that they abandon the exterior things in which they were estranged from him and enter the castle. So for us, I think the question would be, what does the shepherd's whistle sound like? It's going to be different for everyone. But I think we all know sometimes when we have these moments with the Lord and then we leave him we leave him and we're engaged with the world or turn or even maybe turned our back on him he calls us back to himself just you know just like that little whistle and you know it could be something like um maybe noticing a bird in a tree building a nest and all of a sudden the lord's calling you to come build your nest with him it could be something like, it's going to be different for every single person. It's just a matter of being aware, right, that he does want to call us and that, you know, his whistle is, is, is sweet. St. Teresa uses probably the most famous example in Catholic history of a saint who wrestled with the Lord and then was shocked to learn that the Lord was with him all along. Of course, I'm talking about St. Augustine of Hippo. St. Augustine, of course, who wrote the Confessions. We're going back to the fourth century. He was looking for the Lord, looking, 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 looking. And he's shocked when he figures out the following, which I'll read to you. Late have I loved you, O beauty so ancient and so new. Late have I loved you, for behold, you were within me and I outside, and I sought you outside, and in my unloveliness fell upon those lovely things that you had made. You were with me, and I was not with you. St. Augustine was shocked to learn, oh my gosh, Lord, I was looking for you out there, but you were with me all along. And I honestly don't think any of us can avoid that journey, that it's painful, but I do think it's part of being human. We're looking, 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 and the Lord's like, I've, I've been there all along. Um, and then sometimes we look and we get too attached to things of this world 
it's it's really hard it, it, it can be very miserable but it is exciting to always remember how the lord's he's with us it's just we're not with him and isn't that the purpose of the whole journey with this the seven mansions are we in our castle or not <laughs> we have it inside of us but it's up to us if we want to enter Teresa reminds us again, this is not a matter of thinking or imagining about God. All of a sudden, she says, you're inside of the castle. And she says, you hear the shepherd's call, but it's not within the ears. And here's one of my other favorite symbols that she uses. She says, it's like a turtle drawing into a shell. And like I said, she loves to use natural images. I think that's a great example. The Lord gives this experience to people when he wants, at any time, but she says he will only do it for souls who have contempt for the world. So we had to have had our battle with letting go of what the world says to honor. She talks about married people. She says married people may have given up the world by desire not by deed, and that is enough. Here you can see how St. Teresa of Avila is a saint for modernity. She's a modern saint, reminding us lay people, while we are not religious and we haven't taken particular vows, we can give up things that the religious give up by desire. So I would think a perfect example would be uh, a married man with 10 kids, he has to have a bank account. He has to have money. He has to provide for his family, but he can be detached in spirit. And that's what St. Teresa is talking about. Now, this prayer of quiet we've been talking about is a precursor to listening. This is the transition from active recollection to so-called passive recollection. She says it's so subtle the soul does not even know it has entered into that area. It's very subtle, so you have to keep practicing. It is an initial awakening of love. St. Teresa says, um, once you enter into this type of prayer, you're praying to the Lord, you're speaking, don't push, wait, be silent. Silence is very important here. She says, I know others disagree, but." She knows what she's about. She says, I cannot persuade myself to use human diligence in a matter in which it seems his majesty has placed a limit. No, she's saying here, you can't push this. You can't plan it. You can't determine how small or big the gift will be. <coughs> Note the contrast with Mansion 3. You remember Mansion 3? The saint is telling us, run, 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 run. You're too slow. Here she's saying, slow down, be still. So I think the question for you and I is, what is the rhythm of our life right now? When I say rhythm, I mean letting the Lord set the rhythm. Sometimes it's like the Lord has taken you up this mountain. Sometimes he wants you to be still. Sometimes it seems like he's just letting you fall. I know the folly, though, of trying to determine the rhythm myself. How do we get into his rhythm? The only way is through that silence. So I just think I like picking up the rhythm of St. Teresa. 
And this mansion, I feel her saying, slow down. And really, it's all about prudence, isn't it? Because sometimes the Lord says, pick it up. Sometimes he says, slow it down. It just depends. It's up to him. The words she uses here, though, they're very gentle. She says, stop trying so hard. Um, Be still until the Lord decides otherwise. Uh, The key, she says, is to keep Christ before you and continue your gaze of love. Even if your mind keeps wandering, don't worry about it. Just try to ignore those distractions. She also says, (coughs) stop trying to empty your mind with all this work. And this is very practical. Have you ever tried to pray and you can't settle down? I love to find, I have a huge, beautiful crucifix in my office at home. I just gaze at that crucifix. And I may not be thinking anything special or I just look. I'm just spending a lot of time looking at the cross. And that's what it's all about a gaze. What are we looking at? And sometimes I can have that cross before me if I'm, you know, on the doctor's table. I can imagine even I'm in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Where is our gaze? Very, very helpful for moving into prayer. Remember, recollection is giving to the will, not the intellect. The will, not the intellect. She says at this point, the soul doesn't even understand what it desires. We don't even understand what we want. So there's a darkening of the intellect sometimes. This is essential for the journey. I don't know if you've ever read St. John of the Cross. He has a whole section on the purification of the intellect. And it's like when uh, Moses was in the cleft of the rock. You know, he couldn't fully see. Here the will is at rest, but the intellect might be running to and fro. She says, don't be upset. Surrender into the arms of love. It's love, so don't beat yourself up. Now the soul is dilated. The heart has been expanded. And the fount that we talked about in the trough, it gets bigger. And the soul grows in freedom. At this point, the soul is less worried about going to hell and more worried about serving the Lord. So in the beginning of everyone's conversion, it's fear, like, oh my goodness, there's an eternity out there. Am I on the way to heaven or am I on the way to hell? So you all know what I'm talking about. That is a sobering moment. But as we progress, we move beyond fear of hell and more about serving the Lord and loving him. She ends this chapter and really this mansion with very useful advice about women who have certain weaknesses. Of course, she's a she's the mother superior, so she's got a front row seat uh, for all of this. She talks about women who have certain weaknesses. She says they think they're experiencing the Lord in prayer, but honestly, they need more rest and they need more food. Very practical. So it's always good if our prayer life is changing to say, gosh, maybe I just need more sleep. Maybe I need more food. But her final advice to them is, like, if you're not ready for contemplative prayer, she says, get back into active life. Get back to vocal prayer. So for souls who aren't ready for contemplative prayer, she wants you to work active service. Keep doing that vocal prayer, and it will come. So she's very practical. She says, at some point, the Lord might give it back to them. Um, She does say, this is the mansion where the most souls 
enter. I think that's so interesting. And this is where the natural and the supernatural work together the most. And I can't emphasize enough, this is where it's really good to keep track of your experiences throughout the day and think, is this from the Lord or was this from me? Um, of course, we always want to ask, or is it from the enemy? This is where people are the most vulnerable to deceptions of the enemy, she says. Um, so it's where it's good to have someone to talk to. She gives urgent warnings to avoid offending God. Whew, so this is a big mansion. There's a lot here. I've tried to break it up into three chapters to make it easier. But the best advice is to keep praying, to not give up prayer. Set that alarm clock <laughs> an hour earlier maybe or stay up an hour later or whatever we need to do to have time to spend with the Lord. He will give it back to us a hundredfold. That's the good news. Well, I'll see you next time for Mansion 5.